Chapter Six of Miss Ingalls by Gertrude Hall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Six. When it came to a division of the things that had belonged to them in common, it was decided that, as Grace would be so well provided for, Lydia should take very nearly the whole of the furniture for her home down south. Grace should have the books, all of them, and Lydia most of the silver. Grace her father's writing desk, Lydia her mother's India shawl. The books had been packed in many boxes and carted, on Clarence's suggestion, to his new house, along with the worn old mahogany desk. Furniture and crockery and household stuff of every sort had been crated and burlapped and barreled, conveyed and piled into a roomy freight car, and the house stood empty. When there was nothing more to do in preparation for leaving, Grace went slowly from floor to floor in a little sentimental journey of last farewells. She had been at times so busy, and at other times so tired, during the great dismantling, that she had seemed to herself surprisingly dead with regard to it all. Now she tried to penetrate herself with feelings appropriate to the hour, go piously over the memories attached to each room, imprint on her mind the bare wallpapers and floors, last aspect of the friendly, sheltering house so soon to become a stranger. In the space that had been Lydia's bedroom, she found her sister sitting on a trunk. Beatty and she were going to a hotel for the last night, before starting on their journey. Grace was going on that same afternoon to the Overcomes. The Poors had refused the Overcome invitation to dinner that evening, the reality beneath their excuse being Lydia's idiosyncratic desire to dine alone with her husband at a hotel and be reminded of their honeymoon. The baggage was ready. Beatty had gone out to order a carriage. Lydia had already put her hat on. Grace looked at her with much the same sorrowful tenderness as she had been spending on the things that she should see no more. She said to herself, however, to keep from tears, that in the case of Lydia it would only be a question of a year or two. In the weeks just past, Grace had largely lost remembrance of Lydia's brutally frank-speaking and unfair interpretations. Lydia, in her own way, had been the good sister, saving the younger fatigue and trouble, taking thought for her, as a matter of course. But there was more than that to endear Lydia at this moment. Beatty, too, the prospect of a change, new faces and pastures new, the hope of better fortune, the exhilaration of a little power in hand in the form of money, lighted the faces of both in a manner that made them touching, to Grace at least, whose spirit had so often been weighed down by the misfortunes and dejection of her relatives. She seated herself on the trunk beside Lydia. For a few minutes they remained silent, thinking, Grace supposed, the same thoughts. In this supposition she pushed her hand into Lydia's to show that she understood, and to comfort her. Lydia returned the pressure, and said, with an effect of sudden resolve, Grace, 
there is something I have been wanting to ask you, and I haven't done it for fear you would misunderstand. Misunderstand, Lydia? How could you think such a thing? If by misunderstanding you mean misjudging your motives? What is it? It's this, Grace. In a few months you will be a married woman, wife of a rich man, and have everything heart could desire. The little bit of money you have in your own right, you won't need. You mean Papa's life insurance? Yes, it would merely lie in the bank, bringing you a tiny interest, if it brought you any at all. Whereas, if you lent it to Baby and me, we should be glad to give you good interest for it. Of course, any time you wanted it back, we should manage, somehow, to pull it out of the business and let you have it. We should give you, as security, a claim on all we own. There is the furniture and the silver, everything. Grace was silent, taken aback. Lydia went on. Of course, if you don't want to, you don't have to, and you won't. Only, I was thinking, the little bit more would make a big difference to us, and I don't see what difference it could make to you. Wait, Lydia, give me a moment to think. How can I make up my mind so quickly? Take your time, of course. I don't want to urge you, anyhow, nor do I want to ask it as a particular favor. You would have the interest... You would have the security. It's a business transaction, like any other. My being your sister needn't influence you. Wait a minute, Lydia. Let me think. You would keep enough out of it, of course, to get your wedding outfit and give you spending money until you marry. A thousand dollars ought to do it handsomely, because you won't need furs or laces or jewelry. All those things will be showered on you. Think of the size of that family, and their wealth, and then think of the wedding presents you are likely to receive. But just because Claire is so rich, Lydia, don't you see, I should like to come to him not quite like a beggar. Does he know you have anything? Have you told him about the life insurance? No, we've never spoken of money together. If you think, my dear that a paltry $5,000 would make the slightest difference to Clarence Overcome. You must know that that ring on your finger can't be worth much less. Later in life, when you've been married for some time, you'll be much more likely to be glad of a little money in your private exchequer. To pay a dressmaker's bill, perhaps, that's grown so big you're afraid of a scolding even from the fondest of husbands. If you have the money now, I know you, my child. It will melt through your fingers to the last penny, for nothing. If you do us this good turn, you will really be doing yourself a far better one. Grace sat looking down, thinking it over, with a shadow on her face. She wanted so much to keep her money, the first she had ever possessed, and by means of it to appear well among the overcomes. The pleasure of having money of her own was new. Lydia had turned it over to her only a day or two before. She remembered an episode in the life of a queen of France who, when she crossed the border of her husband's country, the land over which she was to reign, changed all the clothes on her body for other clothes of his giving. One who loved her as much as Claire did would be glad to take her like that, with nothing of 
her own and to give her everything claire so loved to give her things and the prospect of utter dependence on him had its special quality of sweetness but yet she would have liked to hold on to her pennies and be generous with them in her turn but yet again she had claire's love what did she need more and poor lydia had nothing but this new chance of which she was rightly anxious to make the most lydia loved Beatty, strange as it seemed just as she loved claire this additional money would perhaps add to the chance of Beatty's success. Grace turned to look at Lydia. It was Lydia who was now looking down, thinking it over, with a shadow on her face, a bitter twist to her mouth. She was thinking, Grace felt it, how selfish her sister was, how selfish she had always been. Grace wanted to say, If I give you this money, which I want so much to keep, will you promise to wipe out all that old thinking of me as selfish will you recognize in it a sign that i love you and want to be sisterly and want you to succeed and be happy and love me too but those were things she could not say to lydia though when at grace's clearing her voice to speak lydia looked up they were plainly to be read in her shiny young eyes all right dear she said you can have it. What must I do? Write you a check? Lydia was moved. With an impulse of sincere affection, she clasped the little sister's neck and kissed her hard. When they drew apart, each saw, with trembling smiles, tears in the other's eyes. End of chapter 6